Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age. A dialogue with representatives of a global multi-stakeholder community. And I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with Jan Kleisen. Jan, welcome to the dialogue. Thank you very much. Allow me to introduce Jan. Jan uh, is the Director of Information Society and Action Against Crime at the Council of Europe. Now, you've been there for over 23 years, and in that position, you have given numerous speeches, lectures, interviews, too many to mention, and I found a lot of those speeches online, which I will refer to in our dialogue. What I also found online uh, is, well, you went to university both in the Netherlands and in Canada, and it looks to me, if you look at your profile picture, you actually have a pilot license because I thought you were standing for an airplane on your LinkedIn profile. Is that correct? I'm standing next to an airplane on my LinkedIn profile. That's correct. Uh, it's actually a, it's a Spitfire, uh, the plane that won the Battle of Britain and ultimately helped to uh, ensure a victory over Nazi Germany in the Second World War. Uh, I flew it when I was 60. Um, in fact, um, I've been at the council not more than 23 years, but virtually 40 years, almost 40, 40. years. Next year, it will be 40 years at the Council of Europe. Wow. Uh, so when I celebrated my uh, 60th birthday four years ago, uh, this was a birthday present. And I flew uh, from Biggin Hill, one of the Battle of Britain airfields, uh, as a co-pilot, uh, the Spitfire you see on my profile. I'm tempted to continue on down that route, but we are going to talk about accountability in the digital age and what the Council of Europe is doing there. Uh, I will link it to one of your other hobbies. You are a marathon runner. And that begs me immediately to ask you the question, solving the issue around accountability in the digital age. Uh, can I compare that to a marathon? Yes, uh, Fritz, you certainly can. In fact, uh, getting standards approved at international level uh, is uh, generally a marathon and not a sprint. Um, the Council of Europe now has 46 member states, until very recently 47, but because of Russia's uh, aggression uh, against Ukraine, uh, it's breaking uh, all the rules in the rule book, book and uh, in particular also the rules of the statute of the Council of Europe. Uh, Russia was expelled from the Council okay. of Europe mid-March and we're now at, uh, at 46 uh, member states. Um, who have the states which have uh, established some 200 treaties over the years, best known as the European Convention on Human Rights. And I can assure you negotiating with many stakeholders, many states, and in cases of digital, uh, digital issues, uh, other stakeholders as well, is certainly, is certainly uh, an effort that requires a lot of um, uh, sustainability, uh, requires uh, perseverance, and uh, you have to keep pushing. So yes, it would. Uh, it would. It is a marathon. A marathon. Yeah, but the question uh, behind that statement or that question is also actually the reason. One of the big reasons why UNESCO instigated uh, our institute is that we don't have that time. Digital technology is moving so fast that they observed their member states were complaining about the fact that rules and regulations are lagging the development of digital technology. So how does the Council of Europe uh, view that? Well, there again, if I may uh, set a parallel with the marathon, you have slow marathon runners and fast marathon runners. You know, the world record is now yeah. about two hours. 
and we've been given about two years to negotiate this treaty, uh, a treaty on artificial intelligence, the latest one which is under preparation. Uh, when you speak about digital accountability, uh, it is probably for the purposes of this uh, discussion at the moment the most the most interesting the most interesting one to mention. Uh, and we have been given until November uh, 23, November next year, to complete a treaty. Uh, and we've started negotiating in, in March. So that's, uh, it's actually more than a year and a half to establish a binding treaty uh, with 53 states at the table, Council of Europe member states, plus observer states, plus Israel, okay. which is also, uh, plus industry, civil society and academia. So um, we better run a fast marathon. Okay, that, well, so, because one of the, uh, questions we we raise is what are possible instruments to help with uh, addressing this issue and uh, do I hear you correctly say well if you put yourself uh, on a deadline uh, then actually this will help speed up the process is it that simple yes in fact the deadline is set by our member states the governing body of the council of europe is the committee of ministers committee of foreign ministers i should say uh, and they have taken a very clear decision. Uh, they've set up a committee of experts from capitals uh, who will negotiate together with the other stakeholders I mentioned. Uh, and the deadline, uh, the firm deadline set by the committee of ministers is November uh, 2023. So there is a very clear mandate and an instruction to, to finalize the work by then. Uh, and we certainly from the secretariat side do everything to enable our member states to um, reach that objective and to have a text ready uh, by that time. Of course, we don't vote. I mean, I'm a member okay. of the secretary. We accompany, of course, the member states. We prefer the drafts. We facilitate the negotiations, try to, to find build bridges and find solutions. But ultimately, of course, as you all know, Fritz, it will depend on the political will of the member states True. to get there. But uh, the decision, once again, was taken uh, unanimously by, uh, by the foreign ministers of the Council of Europe, so uh, which presupposes the political will uh, to get there in time. That is good to know that uh, there are ways you can move things forward, maybe quicker than people realize. Now, this is a little bit talking about the process and how the Council of Europe uh, approaches it. Um, if you look at the content, uh, specifically AI, because you've uh, the Council of Europe has uh, developed the first world's first treaty on AI and human rights, and then the question behind that is, what needs to be regulated? Uh, as far as uh, the Council of Europe, why do you need to regulate it, and what needs to be regulated? Okay, just to be precise, we have not established the treaty yet. Ah, we okay. intend to do so, but it's as I said, November twenty-three that we hope to have it ready. Uh, to submit to our governments and then opened for signature, followed by then hopefully massive ratification. Um, let me take one step back in order to explain, uh, to answer your question more fully. Um, the Council of Europe is an organization which was set up in 1949, as you can see on the poster behind me, um, in the wake of the horrors of World War II to protect human rights, uh, democracy and the rule of law. Uh, these are our, it's our holy trinity, if you like, these are our guiding principles. And uh, the Council of Europe was created to do so through law. The European communities at the time were pursuing the same objectives through economic integration. The Council of Europe uh, was basically uh, set up to do so through legal and political also, but also very much legal cooperation. Um, 
to that end, as I already mentioned, we've established a whole series of treaties um, that initially were limited to the member states of the Council of Europe, but increasingly were opened uh, to non-member states. And to give you an example of a treaty that is also highly relevant in the digital age, the Budapest Convention on Cybercrime, which uh, celebrated its 20th anniversary last year, uh, and which has been ratified, is to say, full parties of 66 states around the world. But last year we were active in 130 countries. Uh, so that is not quite the entire membership of, of the UN, but it's a very high percentage of states in the world. And it is really the global benchmark on fighting cybercrime. And uh, so that was 20 years ago when the Council of Europe decided that in order to pursue its objectives of ensuring promoting respect for human rights, rule of law and democracy, it needed to tackle also digital developments. Um, in fact, it had done so already, it started doing so already 40 years ago, uh, when it established the, world, the world's first treaty on data protection, at a time when virtually no country in the world had any legislation on issues such as data protection, even the term itself uh, was a novelty. Um, and therefore, the work on artificial intelligence now is uh, in, that, in that tradition that where digital developments and the increasing use of AI, I'll answer your question a bit more fully, and uh, the increasing use of AI by governments poses challenges to human rights, rule of law and democracy, uh, that um, our governments decided that it was necessary to establish also rules with regard to the use, to the development uh, the, and the use of artificial intelligence where it has an impact on human rights, rule and of law and democracy. Now, of course, you could say, Jan, very interesting, but uh, can you really, can you give any examples where any use of artificial intelligence has ever caused a human rights violation? Well, sadly, I can. And sadly, Fritz, this concerns yeah. our home country, uh, the Netherlands, where a, a scandal uh, referred to in the Netherlands as the, the child uh, allowance scandal. Yes. Uh, caused thousands of victims uh, who were wrongly considered to have defrauded the system uh, by, the, the, by an algorithm that had not been properly tested uh, by the tax authorities uh, that was highly biased. It led to deaths, people killed themselves, 1,600 children were taken away from their families. Uh, the case is still not resolved, it brought the government down. Um, it, it caused a crisis in our administrative uh, judicial system. So really, it is a, it's a very sad uh, demonstration of what can go wrong if artificial intelligence is not governed, if the use of it is not subject to proper governance. The Council of Europe has an expert body called the Venice Commission. It's a committee that advises governments and parliaments on aspects of constitutional law. And the Netherlands Parliament asked the Venice Commission for an opinion on this scandal, uh, which in a Dutch uh, report had been labeled uh, unprecedented injustice. And the Venice Commission drew uh, attention to the need to ensure that uh, artificial intelligence uh, systems should be properly governed. What it also said is, and that is, it's only a slight comfort, but what happened in the Netherlands could very easily happen elsewhere as well. It's so, in so, our the Dutch, so the Dutch example did prove the point we need to do something about this because it's a real world example. So no, I wouldn't call it a blessing in the skies, but it helped put it on the agenda and say, look, we need to regulate this. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I would certainly wouldn't call it a blessing. I mean, as I said, people yeah. died, people are yeah. still suffering, massive, large amounts of yeah. people are still suffering the consequences. Uh, but it's a very powerful illustration, I would say, a very powerful illustration 
of how careful one should be when uh, delegating to automated systems decisions that uh, are normally were taken until very recently by humans. Um, because a lot of the safeguards that we have for human actors are apparently not, and in this case certainly were not, uh, put in place when delegating the decision making. Uh, to give you an example, when before you become a tax inspector in the Netherlands, you have to pass all sorts of tests and exams. Uh, before you become a judge, uh, there are very strict criteria and, and you know you have to follow a particular education, be admitted, uh, be selected. Uh, so uh, there are a lot of safeguards. And when it comes then to delegating decision making, we see there in this case, uh, a system was put into place without uh, the proper boxes being ticked. So this, the regulation, the Council of Europe, uh, hopefully by 23 will have in place, should take care of that. Well, it will, of course, it will mitigate, mitigate. Uh, the yeah. consequence, hopefully, and it will help. Let's not, uh, I mean, we should have no illusions that a legal framework will totally prevent any abuse yeah. or will prevent any harm. What we do hope, though, uh, and we're fairly convinced about, is that such a legal framework, such a convention, uh, will uh, force countries, uh, force countries, countries will, of course, undertake under this convention uh, voluntarily, but they will put in place national legislation to, in order to yeah. implement conventions provisions, uh, which should provide a number of safeguards uh, to prevent um, tragedies, because I think that's the right word, tragedies yeah. like happening. And should things go wrong, should things go wrong, which of course they always can, also to provide remedies, to provide oversight and remedies uh, to uh, repair the damage where possible and to limit it as much as possible. And that also that means uh, knowing who's accountable for doing what or did not do anything. Absolutely, there's all sorts of it has to do with what what it has to do with the, the algorithms themselves, with the data, uh, with the competent human in the loop, with, with human supervision, uh, with barriers, uh, safeguards, uh, guardrails, if you like, to ensure that uh, we make the use of it as safe as possible, uh, and we set a number of, of criteria regarding uh, its use, especially, of course, by public authorities. Um, okay. We're not going to regulate, just allow me perhaps to add this, Fritz, we're not going to, to regulate the technology as such. Some fears have been expressed that it would, any regula that regulation here would hamper innovation. Uh, I think that is, that is certainly, uh, that is not the case, will not be the case. Um, it's not the case for medicine, by the way. Um, medicine uh, is one of the, uh, the pharmaceutical industry is one of the most tightly regulated industries in the world. And yet it, uh, it is remarkably innovative and the very rapid development of a vaccine against COVID has demonstrated how innovative it can be. And yet it is very, very tightly regulated. So regulation, good regulation will lead to good innovation. Actually, that's a very good example. Uh, you can indeed uh, share with the skeptics that actually it will help. Medicine, the yes. medicine COVID has proven that. Uh, and by the way, the year 23, um, is that related to a quote uh, you once referred to from Stephen Hawking, who said, if we don't regulate it by 25, we'll be too late? Uh, yes, that is the question. Yes, no, I think there's, there's a general awareness that uh, we need to act fast. Um, I mentioned the Venice Commission, and the Venice Commission really pointed out that what happened in the Netherlands could very easily happen in other countries as well. Uh, and uh, it is something we should absolutely prevent from happening. 
uh, ensure that it, it doesn't happen. Uh, in this case, uh, the numbers when they were in the thousands, but the number of casualties was 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 fortunately uh, not in the tens of thousands. But it is very easy to imagine uh, situations where the use of artificial intelligence could lead to even greater catastrophes. So we really, really must ask, ask fast. Also, because increasingly uh, governments are delegating to automated systems uh, because it's very tempting, of course. Uh, it has this veneer of, of objectivity. Mm -hmm. uh, no, it's a machine that decides the computer says it's okay. Uh, it has this veneer of reliability of, uh, um, of and of course it is, it is, it is uh, cheap. Uh, you can replace a lot of people by, by, by uh, some certain algorithms. Yeah. Uh, but when doing so, you must make sure that they are, uh, uh, as I said, they're properly checked and that transparency, uh, reliability, robustness, and the buzzword of this conversation, accountability, are, are guaranteed. Now, so far, we've talked about a situation, a discussion uh, amongst professionals. They're various stakeholders, but they're professionals. What is your opinion and assessment on, I'd say, the general public? Is there enough awareness, I would say, in the non-digital community? No, certainly not. And that will uh, definitely be a part of the new convention, is the, uh, the necessity for governments to improve digital literacy, which, of course, includes literacy about artificial intelligence. An interesting example, a real-world example of this, is California, the state of California in the United States, which has enacted a law which obliges companies with a certain number of customers to inform these customers when they're interacting, not with human agents uh, in companies, but with, with bots, yeah. with, with beans. Yeah. Uh, and that is certainly a principle that uh, will be included also in the new convention, that governments should ensure that uh, the citizen, when interacting with government services, uh, which are automated, so with machines, with computers, uh, with algorithms, that uh, the citizen is aware of that. And uh, in addition to that, of course, the necessity to ensure that uh, digital skills are uh, taught uh, not only to the younger generation, because in the way in this case, the younger generation is more aware, uh, but also to, to elderly people and, and uh, vulnerable groups. I'm, I'm thinking of people with disabilities, for instance. Uh, the elderly who, who do not have, who were not brought up with computers, but need to use them now to function in our societies. Okay. Now, I don't know if you're able to answer this question. You've just given us the Californian example. Uh, we could cut and paste that example in Europe and say, hey, we're going to do exactly the same thing. Because uh, one of the things which the Council of Europe uh, advocates is to, to uphold accountable uh, or, uh, organizations to be accountable, we need an informed public. Um, is that, uh, how, how, do you, how does the Council of Europe plan to do that? Or well, uh, the, the, we hope that the, uh, that the governments will agree uh, during the negotiations to include uh, provisions in the convention, uh, which will uh, oblige governments to ensure that the rollout, the increased use by government services of automated decision-making of artificial intelligence is accompanied by an appropriate uh, awareness campaign uh, information. And also, once again, I come to this uh, oversight and remedies uh, to ensure that the use of this technology will be as safe and as beneficial as possible. 
Okay. Now, there are a couple of questions, John, I'd like to ask you. You triggered me. Uh, you, you mentioned, indeed, that the, num the number of members, uh, for the reasons you mentioned, uh, of the Council of Europe dropped by one recently, beginning of this year. Um, does that mean you stop all communication or do you still have like a backdoor because despite what's happening they are still part of the same digital world we live in yes with regard to the russian federation the decision of the committee of ministers has been very clear uh, it was a unanimous decision supported by the way by unanimous uh, opinion of our parliamentary assembly our parliamentary body the council of europe is two two organs, parliamentary and an executive, yeah. one, unanimous, unanimity in both, uh, that because of this very grave violation of the statute and the massive human rights violations, the Russian Federation could not be a member. Therefore, uh, we have uh, the organization as such has no uh, relations with the Russian Federation. The Russian Federation, however, remains a party to a number of, of conventions of the Council of Europe. Uh, which was set up under the framework of the Council of Europe. And there is a discussion at the moment between state parties to these conventions, uh, how any possible, uh, how these conventions can, and the mechanisms set up at them can function. Uh, we have a case in, in the past, of course, we had uh, Greece that was expelled from the Council of Europe after the um, uh, military coup, uh, mm -hmm. and it returned once democracy had been reestablished. Okay, I was just wondering how you deal with, because this is a global issue, you mentioned uh, your reach is far more than just uh, the European members. Um, so um, I'm just wondering, how do you get the world uh, on stage, uh, people from the States, people from Asia, or uh, those, are the, those uh, governments? Uh, maybe the question is, should they be at the table or can you do without? Well, the, the Cybercrime Convention is a case in point. As I said, uh, we were active in 130 countries last yeah. year. Uh, the Russian Federation is not a party to the, to the Cybercrime Convention, never was. Uh, but 130 countries did cooperate with the Council of Europe. And in fact, the parties to the Convention on Cybercrime are from all five continents. We have African, Asian, South American, Austria, Eurasian country, uh, sorry, um, uh, Pacific, Australia Pacific countries. Uh, in, in the convention. Uh, we have Tonga, New Zealand, Australia, so, uh, but also a whole series of African, Asian countries. Uh, Sri Lanka, for instance, is a party to the convention. Uh, so we very much uh, hope that our convention, the world's first convention, the world's first treaty on artificial intelligence and human rights, uh, will also attract uh, uh, attention from, from around the world. Um, we have already had a request from, from Israel to be admitted to the negotiations. Uh, and we have had now parties to the Cybercrime Convention, uh, other states, non-European states, also uh, having approached us very recently with a request uh, to be admitted to these negotiations. So there's a very clear interest beyond Europe in our work. And of course, we have the observer states, yeah. uh, just for the, for the listeners, perhaps, or the, those who watch this podcast, mentioned the Council of Europe has 46 member states, all European, but it also has the United States, Canada, Mexico, Japan, and the Holy See as observers, uh, and they fully participate in all negotiations. Good, good to be aware of that. Uh, Jan, we're almost at the end. I have two questions for you left. Um, some would argue that accountability in a digital age is a 21st century issue and needs 21st century solutions. So look at other solutions 
beyond rules and regulations. What's your take on that? Uh, I think we are working in the 20, uh, with 21st century methods actually to, okay. to ensure this. Uh, traditionally, treaties were established only by government representatives. Uh, now this particular treaty, as indeed was already the Cybercrime Convention 20 years ago, but now very much more this one, is negotiated not only with governments, but also with representatives of, of civil society and industry. Uh, we have 26 uh, companies and associations, business uh, associations, uh, including all the big Americans, uh, but also a number of, of, of smaller European ones and international ones uh, that uh, sit at the table uh, with government representatives uh, to uh, discuss uh, the provisions of this, the world's first treaty on AI. So it's not just uh, being invented by governments or talked about behind closed doors by government representatives. It's very much an exchange with industry and of course also civil society. So I think we are using 21st century working methods to get there. Good. Final question. Where are you going to put your efforts to, to create this world an accountable world? I think it is to insist on, on, on our values. I think the, the values the Council of Europe was uh, set up to defend, uh, namely human rights, which of course very much includes government uh, accountability yeah. for state actions, uh, rule of law, which, which accountability of course in rule of law is, is a crucial component, democracy, democratic accountability, uh, are the standards that uh, are as relevant today as they were uh, more than 70 years ago. And uh, the, the um, Russian aggression against Ukraine and the, the terrible suffering there are a very stark reminder uh, what happens if these values are not respected. Fair point, good point. Jan, I wanna thank you so much for sharing your insights what the Council of Europe is doing. Uh, I wish you uh, lots of success delivering that treaty in 23. So we'll be looking forward to that. Maybe we'll get you back in the program to discuss when the final treaty is there. In the meantime, thank you for your time and being here. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for the opportunity.